Ahoy Mets fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And we are here to talk about the last week or so of the Mets uh, playing baseball games, which hasn't been as much as <laughs> as many games as we had hoped or, or thought there'd be. The Mets were a victim of two rainouts last weekend at Citi Field. And it's a good thing that they're away this weekend because uh, last night would have probably been a rainout, and today might have been a rainout for them. But they are on the West Coast now. They had three games against the Diamondbacks, which they won two of three, and they lost last night's first contest against the Padres. So because there is limited stuff to talk about, I feel like we should probably focus our conversation on a few key things. And we should talk about uh, something that makes us angry first so that we can end on a positive note. But the Mets optioned Sean Reed Foley down to Syracuse earlier this week, and I think both of us were rightly annoyed by that move. You've written about why Reed Foley has been so effective for the Mets this season, and while I understand that he is sort of a man without a role in that bullpen, he's also been one of the most effective members of that bullpen, and so... I guess the way I want to start this conversation is who would you have optioned or DFA'd if the case may be instead of Reed Foley? Yeah. So yeah, that that's, that's a good question, I think. And it's a fair one. Um, I guess Drew Smith would be the odd man out. Um, you know, I wrote, wrote about Gazelman and that's up on the site today, uh, you know, this morning and, and what he's been doing. It's been very nice to see, this many relievers being effective. Um, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a tough call. I, I don't think they were going to option Gazelman given that he has a longer track record with the team, a longer track record of major league experience, not necessarily always successful, but um, yeah, I, I, I think in particular because they are in this mode that they need multiple inning relievers almost every night, um, you know, when DeGrom pitches, when Stroman pitches, and, and when Walker pitches, you know, on average, you're getting much more out of them. But David Peterson's a complete wild card who can go anywhere from one out like he did <laughs> the other night uh, in, in a game the, the Mets still managed to win, which is great, to occasionally six or seven innings. Um, I've always just been annoyed by that kind of volatility in a rotation you know in a, in, a, in a spot in the rotation yes but all of that said um you know it's a nice problem to have to say okay everybody in the bullpen right now has been doing a reasonably good job um you know drew smith hasn't been bad uh, by any means but i think just if i had to choose between those two I think I would option Smith back to Syracuse and keep Reed Foley, particularly since the Mets are going into tonight with Lucchese as the starter. Yes. Uh, we, you know, we know they'll need multiple innings. Gazelman threw uh, three and two thirds in his appearance the other day. So I'd be shocked if he was available yet. You know, so you just, you look at that stuff and, and it's nice that they have multiple guys. It's, it's fantastic that Seth Lugo is back. Um, but with Reed Foley, doing what he's done. I, I just didn't like the timing of it, knowing that they don't have anywhere near five guaranteed starting pitchers uh, who are all likely to go five or more innings. 
now or anytime in the near future. I guess the the one upside to doing it is that there are two off days within the 10 day waiting period before they can bring him back uh, before and after the Orioles series next week. But a four game series against a good team in the Padres uh, and, and knowing that you're going into it with at least one game that Lucchese might not give you much, even if he's good, he might go three or four innings and get the hook. Um, I, I just would have rather had him around. So no offense to Drew Smith. I, I, I think there's some intriguing stuff there with him, but that would have been my choice. Uh, you know, they, they, they could also shorten the bench, but no off days from the start of the, uh, you know, or, or this whole stretch really other than uh, the weather postponements they had. But since Monday night, you know, it's all games that are either impossible in Arizona to get rained out right. or <laughs> 99.9% unlikely to get rained out in San Diego. Um, so yeah, this is a Sean Reed Foley podcast and <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, mean, I think that you bring up a really, a really good point here, which is that you know Reed Foley has options remaining, whereas uh, Jacob Barnes, for instance, is not. And while I think that Reed Foley is the better pitcher for Jacob Barnes than Jacob Barnes. I, I understand why you don't want to have to designate Barnes for assignment and possibly lose him to another team, whereas Reed Foley can come up and down without consequence this season. That's why I think that someone like Drew Smith is the is the right guy to go down because Smith also has options. And also, you know, Smith has looked good so far in his major league appearances, but has not looked, you know, fantastic. He hasn't he hasn't looked like, let's say, um, like Castro has looked, right? Where you where you look at Castro and you say like, all right, we need to have this guy up and available all the time because he is he is uh, you know one of our most important and impressive pitchers right now. I understand why you're not going to send that guy down uh, if there's even options remaining for him. But you know, Smith is a guy; he's still working on some stuff. I I, I would I would have optioned Smith as well. Um, I guess my question is like, is this going to be Reed Foley's fate for the rest of the season? Is he going to be the guy who just gets shuttled around because of his options and because of his rubber arm that he can be useful to both Syracuse and to and to and to the Mets without really jeopardizing a roster spot? Yeah, yeah, I think I I don't know how long of a leash they have in mind for Barnes. So that that I think is the answer to that question ultimately. Um, and they do have Tommy Hunter on the injured list. They do have um, Batansis on the injured list. Those are guys who could come back. Um, the other thing, as the season plays out too, is that Lucchese has options. So if Barnes is pitching well, if Smith is pitching well, and Gazelman's pitching well, um, and all of that's happening, and Lucchese is a little shaky. Um, not that Reed Foley is necessarily going to get that role, but he's he is a guy who has options. So there's some flexibility there. I, I mean, I'm not – I don't see it with Barnes. You know, uh, the ERA is still high. I know that can be fluky for relievers. I know it's not that many innings. Um, 
but and and with the way health and injuries have gone for them this year, I totally get not wanting to lose a pitcher. Right. Um, but if things start to get a little more crowded, you know, if Gazelman keeps it up, great. Or, you know, you, you could with Gazelman still having options. And it'd be interesting to see if they do this because having options and then also versus having options and being a guy who's been on the major league team for a few years, I feel like is a very different thing. 100%. I was just going to say that, actually. So they could make Gazelman and Reed Foley into one roster spot and just rotate them out. All right, Gazelman, one, two, three long outings in a row. Reed Foley's up the next day. One, two, you know, three long outings. Sw- swap them back. I'd, I'd be surprised if they did it, but they could do it that way. Um, you know, but if Barnes is still rocking a five plus ERA by like July first or the All Star break, not that that's that different, but if he's still in that spot at that time, I, I'd say let's just have Reed Foley and Gazelman on the on the roster in the bullpen, uh, and then if you need a spot for an injured guy coming back, option Drew Smith back too. So, right. Um, look, I. It, the bullpen was my biggest concern, and the fact that we're sitting here on on June fourth, and I'm, and we're looking at it like, well, there's one bad reliever. <laughs> you know, it's hard <laughs> to pick a guy to, to to send to the minors. Um, that is a luxury I did not think we would have. So, so far, I am very happy to to have my concerns about this bullpen look silly. No, I mean, I, but but I I also don't think our concerns were coming from a place of like. Boo Mets! They never, they never have good relievers. It was like you know, we didn't expect Robert Gazelman to pitch to the highest level of his career. With as you point out in your article today, very little change to what he's throwing. Like his stuff isn't breaking differently. His velocity isn't really changed. He's just having better results right now. I don't think we were crazy in thinking that Batansis was maybe washed because it looks like he's probably washed. You know. Right. Uh, it, it it's not crazy for us to to think. Well, you know, Familia hasn't been himself for a couple of years, but now he's looking like himself again. I think that you know, and then even Reed Foley. Like I, I remember when when the match trade went down. I think it was Lucas. It was somebody on our minors team said like that Reed Foley was the least intriguing of the guys because he was the most known commodity. And I agreed with that because you look at Reed Foley's numbers before he came to the Mets, and they weren't all that impressive. But he's <laughs> turned in a a phenomenal year so far for the Mets. Like we weren't this wasn't us being like, well, Diaz is a tightrope walk and so he's gonna suck this year. Right. It wasn't yeah, no, us we were... being downers. It was I think I think we were being realistic about the bullpen. Yeah. Yeah no Diaz and May and and look I think May's gonna be fine. I know he's had a little rough stretch lately, but we, Diaz and May were expected to be good and combined overall they put up good work. Yes. Uh there's those two spots and um, you know, Aaron Loop has been very good um, and gotten into some spots where, you know, especially with the rule, uh, the three batter minimum rule, he, he can't just face lefties and he's been effective. So, it, so far, it's sort of like, all right, you know, they didn't they didn't strike on Barnes being a dominant reliever like they thought they could maybe transform him into, at right. least not yet. But you're looking at, I don't know. Best case or or one notch down from best case scenario with every other reliever in the bullpen. 
Yeah. So I, I, I think that that's that's very well said. I'm I'm going to be very. I mean, look, there's obviously going to be injuries that will happen throughout the year, and I think that eventually the patience with Lucchese might run out, and he might get optioned. Given the the success they've had, I wouldn't be opposed to either Sean Reed Foley or Robert Gazelman getting a couple of turns in the rotation. How would you feel about that, as opposed to Lucchese? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's as long as it's sort of the same concept as Lucchese, you know, basically a multiple inning opener instead of a quote unquote starting pitcher, right? <laughs> you know, um, I. I like the the mix and match. You know, I, I think it's been nice that they've actually used an opener. Not that I ever had like strong feelings about openers in, in baseball, but um, I don't know. It's just nice to say, okay, look, they're they're trying out some things, and overall they've worked too. Um, you know, I know they're not doing the opener thing tonight with Lucchese. Um, I would have considered it to to get somebody else a shot at Tatis the first time up. Mm-hmm. And then get Lucchese through the order maybe one to one and a half times after that. But, um, you know, the, it, it's been nice to have a little bit of that flexibility. Um, and just it's sort of born out of necessity. If if Carrasco was back for two or three weeks already uh, and Syndergaard were looking at coming back in another week or two, we might be in a very different spot where who cares about openers? There's right. <laughs> there's there's five very good starting pitchers. Those other guys can you know can eat up the rest of the innings. We might even be saying like, hey, let's shift that balance a little and get another guy on the bench. Uh, you know, maybe we don't need the Mets to have this many bullpen arms, uh, but we're not in that reality. And obviously, they do need them. <laughs> yes. So so yeah, I'm I'm all about trying out guys in in different roles and and just also. I think that helps loosen things up a little bit. Like, okay, yeah, you're DeGrom. We're catering to you. <laughs> you're starting and you're staying in the game until it's obvious, you know, that it's time to go to the bullpen. Um, everybody else, I think a little bit of flexibility is good. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree with that. Um, so let's talk. I, I mentioned injuries uh, before. Um, you know, in regards to there being an open spot on the at some point in the bullpen because of injuries, because that's just what teams do. But the Mets have had a little bit of injury news since we last spoke. Pete Alonso came off of the injured list and has been good so far. His first night back, he had a home run and uh, a two-run single, and it's nice to see Pete back. He did not play last night, which uh, the official reason was that he was uh, just being rested, that they're sort of easing him back in. I hope that's the case. I yeah, hope he did not... pinch hit. He did um, pinch hit, yes. Um, but I'm hoping that's not the Mets just, you know, covering for themselves as they've done so many times in the past. Yeah, I'm – I don't know. I guess <laughs> while, while things are going relatively well, they're in first place, still playing well. You know, it's not like they're in first place and they've lost seven in a row, but the rest of the division has lost ten. Um, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, all that – I'm, I'm I don't want to say I believe every update they they give. Uh, obviously, the J.D. Davis injury situation has been murky information at best. But uh, with Alonzo, it's logical enough that I'm not going to jump to a conclusion until, you know, if the lineup comes out tonight and he's not in it. Okay, then. Right. 
then it wasn't just a day off. But we'll know that soon enough. Sure. Yes. I guess that's that's sort of like the beauty of a baseball season. Like it, whatever strong opinions we have, it's not going to take long for us to find the answers. Right. Exactly. I mean, um, most times we record this show. And within an hour, it's out of date for some reason or another. So, you know, we're used to that. So the Mets are trading for Cattell Marte uh, this morning, is what you're saying? Oh, God, let's hope so. <laughs> um, I do think, I don't, I don't want to go on a whole tangent, but I do think it would be wise of them if they can get somebody who who's a good player, um, a good position player. I think it would be wise to get them. And then if, if by some miracle, everybody's healthy at any point then, okay, great, figure that out later. But, like, right. Travis Blankenhorn's on the roster. Uh, if there's somebody out there they can get, go get them, and, you know, we'll, we'll figure out who plays what position in August. Yes, we'll talk about Travis a little bit later in the show. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I completely agree with you. I, I think now is the time to make a big move. Uh, before other teams are, are desperate, the Mets can make a move right now, but that's a conversation for maybe another day. Maybe next week we'll we'll dig, in, dig into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, back on the injury front, we we lost Jonathan VR to a hamstring injury. Has he been put on the IL yet? I don't believe so. Right. Yeah, not yet. So we don't know if that's going to be an IL move, but I mean, it's going to be an IL move, right? When was a hamstring injury not on? I, I guess I guess Tatis actually this week had a sore right. ha- hamstring, right? No, no, he, he, an oblique. he was oblique, which yes. is even more like uh, he's what he's playing, <laughs> right? Yeah, so that's that's that is the uh, that's the surprising one, right? But it seems like VR is probably going to go on the IL for this. Uh, not that I'm hoping for that at all. I hope he manages to make it out of that because I like watching VR play, and so I, I want to see him obviously continue. Um, but are, are you? I mean, I don't think we should be surprised by this. VR is somebody who has been playing a whole lot. He's been running a lot. He's been, I mean, not that everyone who plays gets hurt, but it just seems to me like this was a guy who maybe wasn't expected to play this much and has now played a whole lot. Uh, are, are you are you worried about his injury, or do you think this is just more of the same for the Mets? Um, both? <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Very um, fair answer, sir. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd be shocked if he doesn't end up on the injured list. And it sucks because, like, one of the fun things that, that you've, uh, you know, spearheaded uh, via Maggie's idea on, you know, on Twitter. But the ILR, ER of the day is uh, is a nice little thing that we get to do. Um, and although it's not exactly the same, I do like that Guillaume is a guy who could be back soon and has the double L in his name. Yes, that is true. He he could definitely fit into the double L club. We could we could change it to like the LL of the day, and then every reference has to be an LL Cool J song. I don't know, just an idea. I mean, when they make their next West Coast road trip, going back to Cali is like a perfect headline for that. Then, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so, so something to think about. Something to think about here. Um, but yeah, and, and speaking of Guillaume, you know he is making some rehab starts now. Finally after an April 30th oblique strain. Um, we actually have a piece going up, I believe, today, correct, about Guillaume? Yeah. Yep. yeah. By and, the time uh, you're hearing this, yeah, by the time you're hearing it's this, on it, the site. It'll be up. <laughs> uh, and, you know, there's a um, – it, it's an interesting piece by our Michael Drago about whether uh, – sort of what, what an extended Guillaume season could look like, off, you know, in terms of him playing – 
at least for a month or so every day. And I don't know if we're going to get that because there are just so many moving pieces on the Mets right now. I don't know if we're going to get a month of Guillaume at third base, but I mean, I'm glad to have him back. He's he's a tough out, as we know. He is a really good defender. He seems like somebody who can be who can come off the bench with relative ease. He he's a valuable guy to have on the team. And you know, there are people on the roster who, again, we will talk about in a few minutes, who probably don't deserve a spot on the major league roster right now. And so. Guillaume coming back is a very good thing. Um, do you have a sense of who would be lost on the roster for Guillaume, who would be sent down or released? Well, Blankenhorn, <laughs> yeah, Blankenhorn has options, right? So he's, I think he's the one. Yeah, um, I'm just looking to see real quick if there's anybody else who, I mean, like Brendan Drury. I, I don't know, but I guess Blankenhorn's got to show you something. Um. Brandon Drury is who he is. I, you know, I, I, I guess I'd keep him over Blankenhorn, but either one could go for Guillaume, and that would be fine. Um, they both have options, so I, I don't know. Um, I, I do know my my cousin, the Twins fan, said Blankenhorn, who, who I think only played maybe once or twice in the field for the Twins, but... <laughs> Made such a bad error that was like when I said, "Oh, he's a Met now." He's like, "Well, uh, you guys, you, you do have the DH, right?" Because um, as an American League fan, he is a an obnoxious DH advocate, as many American <laughs> League fans are. Uh, but that was his reaction, and then he sent me the play where it was just a routine ground ball, and and look, it's just one play, but routine ground ball hit right at him. And I, I can't count the number of times he botched what the one ball. Like it was just. <laughs> Like just mind-bogglingly bad defense. Uh, I don't know if that's who he is. You know, we've we've barely seen him. Uh, and again, this even though Drury isn't a long-time Met, this probably comes back to the guy with more major league experience doesn't get optioned, and the guy with less does. So, right. That's my guess. But I, it would be a lot of fun to see Guillaume get everyday time. Um, and then knock Peraza to the bench. And Peraza's, you know, he's not tearing the cover off the ball or anything, but he's been a um, solid replacement level player. I mean, Peraza might be playing second base in this scenario. Well, he, yeah, he could. Um, I, I guess it depends on how they want to roll with it. I, I just love the idea of Yorme and Lindor. Yes. In the middle infield doing what they do. Um, but it's possible that Yorme gets stuck at third and, you know, he's he's capable over there, but he, he's similar to VR in that sense that they both, I don't know, they both just look a little less comfortable there. Agreed. Um, as guys who have spent so much time as middle infielders, you know, it's, it's not that different. I think sometimes, you know, in baseball where, you know, as fans or, or even front offices a little hesitant to, uh, you know, have a guy switch positions. And, and see how that goes. But like James McCann played first base and, and every once in a while doesn't always work out, but like every once in a while it's like, Oh yeah, this guy's a professional baseball player. Like it's not right. that shocking that somebody could hack it at a position um, that they don't play every day. Right. Yes. I, I agree with that. Um, we should also mention that uh, <laughs> James McCann is kind of hitting now. And uh, 
You know, yeah. I'm not willing to say we were wrong to doubt James McCann. I'm not anywhere near that yet. But it's nice to see him hitting a little bit. And it seemed like maybe playing first actually helped him out in, in some way, whether it was just a change of scenery or it was not having to worry about the mental pieces of, of preparing. I know that I think it was Ron on the broadcast who said, you know, sometimes a catcher has so much on his mind in terms of game preparation and all of that, that thinking about your offense can kind of fall to the wayside because you're too busy thinking about other things. And so maybe playing first base just opened him up a little bit. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, and you look, he's up to a 91 WRC+. plus. Um, that's not something I would have predicted would be true right. on, on this date. Um, you know, up until, what, he started hitting about a week ago-ish. So, you I know, so, up, yes. up, up until May 23rd, the end of the baseball week on that Sunday, he had a 52 WRC+. plus. <laughs> Uh, over a decent amount of plate appearances, you know? Yeah. Um, so to, to, to go from and arbitrary endpoints, you can always, you know, manipulate things and make things look the way they are. But just, just from last Monday till now, um, hitting 344, 382, 813 with four home runs. Um, like after advising others in my, fantasy baseball world like he's toast you weren't wrong to drop him uh, i don't know why i haven't picked him up yet myself <laughs> yeah that's a thing it's a thing that happened but yeah i mean that's you know that's this is the baseball season right this is what happens throughout you you're gonna get we're gonna look stupid at various times and we're going to look brilliant at various times for things we said but i i'm hoping that this means mccann is coming around for a sustained period of time, and if so, I would still give more playing time to Tomas Nito than we had initially anticipated. I'm not saying it's going to be necessarily a straight platoon or something of the like, but I think if if McCann is starting four games a week and Nito three, I'd be okay with that. Or at, at, min, at very minimum, Nito starting two games a week. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And look, Nito had a... Uh, Nito's had his big hits. Um, you know, I think it's hilarious in, in, in like a good way that the Mets with all-star voting starting uh, put out a graphic like mob the vote and their all-star vote like graphic is the bench mob. Right. Um, you know, if Lindor keeps hitting the way he's been hitting for like the last week to nine days ish, um, you know, he, he'll end up having a pretty good shot of being on that team because of his reputation uh, you know, Tatis is going to be voted the all-star shortstop probably every year, no matter how good Lindor is. Right. Uh, so there's, you know, that's just one of those situations like Jeff Bagwell, when Mark McGuire was there, it was just like uh, Bagwell was probably the better overall player in a lot of ways, you know, great defense, base running, all that kind of stuff. But, but you had the guy who was just the guy, uh, you know, so you weren't winning that starting all-star job gig. Right. Ever. So, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, yes, I, embrace yeah. the bench mob. I, I love that. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, but, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see what the Mets 
do with the catching situation if this seems to be for real with uh, with McCann. Yeah. Um, so you wanted to pose a question to me about last night's game. Well, why don't why don't we do that now? Yes. Yeah. So uh, very rarely would this thought even come to mind, and I was asleep for it. So this is very much just looking at the the play log and going like, huh. Same. Same. Uh, <laughs> but the Mets get you know they're down a run. They got first and second, nobody out, not, top of the ninth inning, and Travis Blankenhorn is up at the plate, and he grounds into a force out. It was just one out, but. Uh, would you, as the manager of the Mets, Lu- Luis Rojas got ejected and they, they flew you out to San Diego to manage the ninth inning, <laughs> would you have had him lay down a sacrifice bunt with Kevin Pillar and Francisco Lindor do up after him? So the my, my one caveat to this is going to be I have no idea how he bunts. Like, I don't right. know. if I, I'm sure there is data out there, either from the majors or the minors, for how effective of a of a bunter blanket horn is so without knowing that let's just presume that he's perfectly league average in his bunting ability who was on who was on second who was on first uh as the question asker i should have had that handy (laughs) sorry (laughs) no it was uh what was it nito and peraza hold on i have it all here yeah, it was. It was Nito and Peraza. Look at that. I remembered. Um, okay. Yeah, Nito singles, Peraza walks. We got first and second, nobody out. A guy with four major league plate appearances coming up to the plate. Pilar on deck and Lindor in the hole. Was there anybody uh, on the bench still for the Mets? Do you know that? I'm, I'm asking you way too many questions. I, I, no, I'm no, trying, no, that's okay. I'm trying to realistically assess the situation. <laughs> right. They had already used Alonzo uh, and and uh, Nito and Blankenhorn. So I think the only, I think, no, Drury started. And VR is uh, VR's an injury limbo. So yeah, right. no, he, Blankenhorn was the last pinch hitter they had. Um, I mean, he, he the last position player they had. Right. Uh, th- there was nobody else beyond him after they used Nito to pinch hit. Right. Before him. Um, and this was the top of the ninth inning? Yes. <sighs> See, part of me said, <laughs> you let VR bunt and then just walk to first base. Um, but you have to feel the team in the bottom of the ninth if you if you go ahead. So you can't do that. Um, a part of me also says you uh, you bring in like DeGrom to bunt. But again, you need to feel the team, so you can't do that. Um, yeah, I think I bunt with him here. And I, I, am, I am usually a never bunter or at least a seldom bunter guy. I just feel like when you have Pilar on deck and you have um, Lindor in the hole, if you, so, so let's say the bunt gets down effectively and you have second and third with one out, you're down by a run. I think one of those two guys coming up has the back control to at very least tie the game for you with a, with a sacrifice fly. That is far more likely... Then, yeah, I mean, did did he advance the runners with the force out or no? Uh, no, no, it was just a step on third situation. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of a reason why I wouldn't bunt, and I can't find one. I guess it's different, too, like, if this is... 2022 Ronnie Mauricio 
where he's called where he has four plate appearances because he was just called up, but he's one of your top prospects and you're confident in his bat. I think that's a very different situation. But this is a guy who if this guy was if this guy could hit to the level um that yeah, I just don't feel confident enough with him. That's I, I keep running this over my head. I would definitely have bunted with him. Nice. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on the 99% never bunt. But <laughs> I think it I think it would have been the right call as somebody who was not even awake for it. <laughs> Same. Yeah. All right, Chris, what is your music pick for the week? So this is one that uh, I don't think anybody would be surprised to hear from either of us. But... <laughs> <laughs> Lou Barlow, most famously of Dinosaur Jr., also his own solo career, also in Sebado. If I'm missing any other credits, I apologize. The Folk Implosion had a hit in the 90s. But, all right. All right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, he uh, early on in, in the pandemic, his Instagram live sets during the workday were, I don't know, they just I just gravitated to them. They, they just hit right. And it, you know, it's weird, like. Jeff Tweedy, Wilco, I've, I've loved them for a long time now, and I've checked out some of that stuff, but it's it's always been more of like a late night thing, um, and you know a really cool like heartwarming insight into his family and all that. Uh, and the Lou Barlow sets had that too, you know. It, occasionally, his daughter was running around screaming as he was trying to play a song, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but there was just something about him that that it was like, oh yeah, okay. Um, and I don't know if it was at that time or shortly before that I it that it kind of just hit me that like oh wait a lot of my favorite dinosaur junior songs especially the recent stuff um, are songs that he sings and you know hearing those songs played in that context and then just getting a lot more exposure to his own work um, you know I think I, I bought one of his records um on like the band camp friday last year and all that anyway uh, you know so this sort of like realization of like oh wait i really like lou barlow like specifically not just as the bassist with the awesome hair and the awesome gibson uh oh what's that bass is it a ripper yeah yeah, yeah. the gibson ripper just like the look the way he plays it the way it sounds the whole thing you know like that's awesome but there's even more to this guy so that that happened um, about a year ago for me. And then he put out a record that I, I think he recorded it all at home, You, right? Like, uh, I believe so. I, I believe he, he may have sweetened some stuff up in the studio, but I believe it was all recorded at right. home, yes. Right. So he, you know, he, he put together a record that just came out, um, uh, well, a week ago, and uh, got to listen to it early this week. And some of the songs were definitely songs that I remember from those Instagram sets. Um, and they're all just, they're, they're really good, you know, for like one person with a guitar or occasionally a ukulele or, you know, maybe a little bit of other stuff. Um, it's, it's a lot of impressive song writing. Uh, I like, I like his style of it. I like his voice to go along with it. And I like that there's like a string of songs that are less than two minutes long. Um, you know, I, I like a good seven to 10 minute jam on uh, in the right context, you know, whether it's from the grateful dead to theoses, my very often mentioned band (laughs) during (laughs) our music picks, 
I, I like that a lot. Uh, but I also like a song that is short and sweet and like the men and men did it a lot. And to do a short song, not in a punk style, I think is still relatively unique. Um, and it, it's just a cool thing. Not every song on this record is that short, but there are a bunch of them that, uh, that are. And, uh, I don't know. It's just something that, that I want to call attention to. So yeah, the, the name of the album is uh, reason to live and it's got a cool, album art cover that's just like a bunch of a, a mishmash collage should have practiced saying that one uh <laughs> of of things from home you know that in his family and sort of the craziness of of doing those sets um and yeah it came out really well so uh dinosaur jr the, as a band just put a record out very recently and uh you know it's nice to get the one-two punch because i like this one a lot too yeah, uh, for, for those who are um, inclined to uh, like digital releases, I, I know that you, both you and I tend to prefer physical releases sometimes, but uh, Lou Barlow did a thing called the Artist Enabler Club last year for Joyful Noise Records where he released songs. You could do it digitally or uh, with physical media. I did the digital one because it was a little bit more affordable, but he released all a bunch of new songs he recorded some covers he, he has y young daughters he recorded covers of like the paw patrol theme song and a couple other kids shows he released some old demos of his so every month you would get this either physical or digital care package from him i think i recommended it on the show actually once but this album is made up of his favorite songs from that year-long process and he re-recorded them and souped them up so it, it, they're really great I, I i heartily retweet this endorsement um, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also for all the, if you were a member of the physical club, which I was not, he, he hand made you an album cover for this album. So you got a vinyl that, with, with a cover that he actually painted or made a collage or whatever for, specifically for you, which is pretty cool too. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I almost bumped up to the physical for that, but I decided to be a responsible father and husband and not do that. Um, <laughs> God damn these adult responsibilities. So anyway, um, let's talk about my pick, which is actually going to be two albums that I'm encouraging you to listen to together. This came up for me because uh, I was talking with a friend of mine on Monday night about music, and he said uh, he was, I don't want to say he was slandering the Rolling Stones, but he said, like, I don't think there's a Rolling Stones album I would ever sit to listen to. Uh, you know, front to back, and I said, "Well, the answer to that is you should listen to Exile on Main Street because there's, I would say, yeah. there's like three or four Stones albums that are great front to back." But he he was looking for one, and I said, "Start with Exile on Main Street." And I said, "I know you like Liz Fair's Exile in Guyville, and that's that's a response to Exile on Main Street. It's a song for song response to that." And he said, "I didn't know that." I said, "Yeah, Liz Fair when she wrote Exile in Guyville, I don't know if she wrote the songs this way, but when she put together the album." They're each 18 songs, and she wanted each track on her record to thematically reflect whether, like, lyrically or tonally or tempo-wise, the corresponding track on Exile on Mainville. Exile on Main Street. Jesus Christ. It's hard to say right. the album with the two <laughs> very similar names back and forth. So uh, I had created a Spotify playlist a couple of years ago called Exile to Exile, and I couldn't find it. I must have deleted it accidentally, so I remade it this week. And I just alternated the tracks on Exile on Main Street and Exile in Guyville. And um, 
it's amazing how well the albums work together. I think that the the knock on both of these records, if I had to give them one, was that there are points where they drag because they maybe feel a little bit samey, where there's a couple of songs that are similar back to back to back, and so you can you can sort of get uh, lost in those moments. And so by intercutting the, the, the other artists' songs in between there, it doesn't do that. The, the albums don't drag in the same way. And again, I love both these albums. So it's not like I think that they are that the that the sameness in parts is detrimental to your enjoyment, but I think it adds a new level of enjoyment to hear them put together. So I'm actually going to link in the show notes today my playlist of these two albums together. Um, and it's just a, it's just an interesting experience to do. It is a two hour and three minute experience because it's two eighteen songs song albums. Uh, you know, shuffled <laughs> together. It's it's a lot of music, but I I think it's a I think it's a fun experiment to do. And um, if you find yourself like five or six songs in, only enjoying one or the other, I think listening to the albums individually is perfectly fine as well. But I've listened to this like I think two or three times so far this week, uh, all the way through. When I was I listened to it when I was in the office the other day. I listened to it when I was doing dishes the other day. It's a I, I do like the juxtaposition of the two back-to-back. So Exile on Main Street and Exile in Guyville, those are the those are my picks for this week. So uh, thank you all for listening. We uh, truly appreciate it. Please go to AmazingAvenue.com for all your Mets needs. Find Amazing Avenue on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Get this show from Apple Podcasts, from Stitcher, from Spotify. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you grab the show. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. And until next time, let's go Mets. Mm-hmm.